Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, educating, empowering, and connecting Christians to stand on God's Word and truth. A man who won't stand up for his own principles is not really a man at all. Get involved by emailing comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. You the truth. Now, here's David Fiorazzo. Good morning, friends, neighbors, and uh, stragglers. Anybody uh, just flipping through the stations or coming upon this podcast by mistake? It is no mistake that you are listening. No coincidences in God's kingdom. And we just thank you so much for tuning in. We've got a, a good, another good guest today, first time guest. We're talking about reasons for hope in Christ and a little bit of apologetics, how to deal with some of the cultural arguments against the faith. But um, let's go to the only true God in prayer and open up this program as we always do. Father in heaven, thank you so much for another day. This day is a day that you have made and we rejoice and are glad in it. Your mercies are new every morning. Lead us today Guide our conversation, Lord. May you be exalted, Jesus. May people really be encouraged in the hope that we have in Christ. And those who are uncertain, please remind them of the assurance that they have in the only living God, Jesus, and help them to remember that they can go to him. His name is the name above every name, and at the name of the Lord, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We thank you, Father. We can call you Savior, God, king and you are our lord and we thank you for the gift of salvation and the work that you're doing in our hearts and lives we also pray lord that you would strengthen us and stiffen our spines to do the work that is necessary in a dark culture and country that is really confused about spiritual issues and we pray that you'd allow us to be that salt and light and strengthen us i know you've already given us everything we need for life and for godliness we pray that we would help equip others to do that work, that important work of bringing people to your kingdom and talking about the truth in a culture that is confused about truth. We love you. We lift up this hour to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, uh, people often ask fair questions about faith, God, the Bible, or even about truth. Sadly, truth has been redefined (laughs) in our culture. Um, Can you know God? Does absolute truth exist, and do we live by just blind faith, if you are a believer in Christ and the Bible? Many other good questions that are fair to ask. But do we, believers in Christ, have good, thoughtful answers for them? Are we equipped to help, especially today's young people, help them with the spiritual and cultural battles that they face every day? And we know the warfare is great. Are they equipped? We love to see people educated and emboldened when they realize that there are excellent arguments in support of the truth. And today's guest feels the same way. Author, pastor, apologist, and speaker Juan Valdez has always had a curious mind and asked a lot of questions growing up. Searching for answers has been his passion and a lifelong journey. His first debate was in 10th grade in a biology class. When Juan is not traveling, he's engaged in the pastorate of his bilingual congregation in Miami, Florida. And Juan earned a master's degree from Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary, also from Logos Graduate School, and he has a doctor of ministry in apologetics from Southern Evangelical Seminary. Juan Valdez, welcome to Stand Up for the Truth, brother. Hey, man, I'm so happy to be with you guys today. Good really to, excited about it. So good to have you, Juan. Now, you work with Carl Kirby at Reasons for Hope. So before we get into a little bit of your background, how did you connect with Carl? Because that's how we've come to hear about you. Carl, uh, I, I was a chaplain at Florida Christian School, a large Christian school in Miami. And uh, I would have him come in to speak in chapel for different events, Spiritual Emphasis Week and other events. Uh, so I've known Carl for about 10 or 12 years, and I, I would have him come in and speak, and, and, and the kids loved him, and I loved him. He was amazing. He's an com- amazing communicator. And uh, and so I, I, I invited him one year to come down to Florida Christian, and I said, hey, would you mind uh, over the weekend if we do something at my church, an apologetics conference, where I'll be speaking, you'll be speaking, et cetera. 
And he said, sure. He came down with his son, Denny, also, Carl Jr., and we did a conference. The thing was, he had never heard me speak. I, I always invited him to speak. Uh, and so on that conference, in that conference, I spoke, and he heard me speak, and they were looking for somebody to do Spanish apologetics because there's such a great need and nobody's doing it. Mm. Uh, and when they heard me speak, they decided, you know, this is the person, bilingual, and, 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 uh, and they're able to speak well. And so it, that, that's how we connected ministry-wise. And, and he invited me to come work with him in Reasons for Hope, and I did. Awesome. Now, before you obviously work for Reasons for Hope, you do a lot of speaking, you were traveling. Um, growing up, you had your first debate in biology class. Did you, were you in a Christian home? Were, were your parents both believers? What kind of church background do you have? And tell us a little bit about maybe your high school and college years. Yeah, I was, uh, I was born uh, into a non-Christian home, uh, but my mother got saved when I was five years old. Uh, so she started taking me to church. So I grew up in the church. My dad didn't get saved till much later on in life, uh, but uh, I grew up in a good church and uh, with good teaching. And when I got to high school, uh, and my biology professor started, you know, challenging me with you with the uh, evolution, uh, macro evolution, and the you know molecules to man and common ancestors and all of these issues. I had never heard anything about that really. I, I was, uh, I w- it was new to me. It was challenging to my faith. I went to my pastor and I said, you know, this is happening in school. What do I do? So he gave me a set of 10 little booklets that were written by Henry Morris way, way back when. And uh, each of the booklets dealt with a different aspect of the evolution uh, theory or geology, paleontology, all the different books. And what I would do is I would read one of the books. They were little pamphlets. They were like 60 or 70 pages. I would read a book then come back to school and and give all of that information in class and debate about it and then read another book the next day. (laughs) It got to the the point where the professor had me debating with other students about dinosaurs and the age of the earth, and it was really exciting. I found it exciting to have answers to the questions. And and what I noticed was that a lot of my fellow students that were in the class that were just hearing one side of the story, when they started hearing that there were other options, got really excited about it and would ask me after class more information about what I was sharing. Uh, and that started me on a, on a journey, man. I've always had a lot of questions, uh, and to know that you can find answers and then realize that your answers are the truth, uh, that's, that, to me, that was invigorating. That was exciting. Well, that must be. for a, a, You were a teenager at the time, and you're reading these booklets going, wow, this stuff is great. It's probably not what they were teaching, at least in depth back then, but today... Juan, you know from the surveys, the studies, from reports of educators and Christian youth that have been going through the public school system, they're not getting anywhere close to the truth, or at least a fair presentation of the different views, particularly on creation and evolution. So uh, this must really encourage you that, that you can, because of your experience there, you know how you can help equip young people today because they're not getting educated in that way. Amen, and 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 hats hats off to the to the my professor in high school. He he uh, he encouraged the debate. He allowed for Excellent. the discussion to happen, uh, and that's something we don't see today. No. It, it's kind of like the discussion is not even allowed in the classroom where you're supposed to be learning. He encouraged it, and I think he he did a, a great service to me, even though he was teaching something I did not believe in. He allowed me to to, to debate and to bring out the the other side of the coin, which today is just forbidden. Yes, and under the under the false premise of separation of church and state, which, in all for all practical purposes, is separation of biblical biblical Christianity and state. Anything else is allowed, right? In today's schools, no, exactly. Uh, so, were you College. ever? I know you taught. Um, you know, you teach. You know, the Bible, and you go around. You speak at conferences, and you're a speaker with reasons for hope. But did I read somewhere that you were a teacher in the school system? I did. I taught for 20 years. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Uh, high school, high, high school seniors, uh, mostly high school seniors, uh, a little bit of, you know, 10th and 11th grade as well. Uh, so I, I have, I love, I love the youth. I have a, a passion for them. I'll be honest with you. When, when I, when I stepped into Reasons for Hope, I had to step out of the classroom because I couldn't do everything. After <laughs> the church, teach at the school and work for Reasons for Hope. And I miss the classroom. I miss, mm. I miss that, that daily interaction with the kids. So I make up for it by, you know, trying to get into every school I can get into and 
every youth conference I could speak at because I, I want I love their that generation. I have two kids in that generation. Wow. So yeah. So Juan, I, I would imagine that you have an incredibly strong and equipped youth group at your church, and I would like you to give advice to any youth pastors or young uh, pastors that might be listening right now and going, wow, you know exactly uh, how to reach these teenagers. That's a very crucial time in their lives. So could you give some advice to maybe younger pastors or even youth pastors on maybe some of the things that you're doing to help disciple and equip teenagers? Well, the, the first, the, there's a lot There's a lot to be said about that, but the first thing I would say is these kids have really good questions, and we need to encourage them to ask the questions. Yes. We need to we need to teach them how to respond to the questions. We got it. We have to engage. What what I find more and more is that youth groups are all about entertainment uh, and distractions and games and pizza. Thank and you. All of that is one. All of that is wonderful. Kids love that. I love that. But there's got to be good, solid time given to the word. The kids are hungry for truth, and and you'll you can ask. I I, I bet if we did a survey of youth groups, and, and allowed them to compare a, a, a service with a 10-minute power message, whatever that is, and a service where they get a good 45-minute teaching deep into God's Word, which one they would prefer, I would be willing to bet everything I've got that they would all, they would all go for the 45-minute teaching, because they are hungry for truth. Hmm. We're sending them out to the battle, into the battlefield, which is this world and schools and colleges, blindfolded and with their hands tied behind their back. Yes. They don't stand a chance. When you teach them God's Word, when you teach them apologetics, when you teach them how to answer the questions, teach them the truth about all of these hard topics, now they have something to fight with. We're equipping them. We're giving them the tools they need to survive and to thrive in their environments. Uh, and you'll find that kids really, the, my experience has been is that they, they have a, a thousand questions. I, I have kids that you know, we'll, we'll get saved, and then they'll, they'll write questions down on a notebook. And every time they see me, it's like one question after another. I mean, we'll be walking out of church to the parking lot, and they're standing by me, by my car, asking me more questions until I say, okay, look, let's pick up the questions again next service or next time I see you. They're just hungry. They have a lot of things that they want to, a lot of questions, and they're, and they're being challenged. That's the thing. There's nothing more uncomfortable than to be challenged on what you believe and have nothing to say. Mm. Um, Juan, you're in Miami, Florida, and so you're on Eastern Time. I was just, we were saying off the air, we had someone either yesterday or the day before out in California, so they woke up early with us. When you just got back from a trip, and I believe you were speaking, I don't, don't think it was a vacation, but tell us about your trip. Were you in Colombia? I was. I just got back from Medellin, a beautiful city in Colombia. Uh, it's my seventh trip to Colombia this year. Wow. This uh, year? Colombia this year, yeah. Colombia is on fire for apologetics. Hmm. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Latin America hasn't been too in tune to apologetics over the years. And the reason is that if you really think about it, most of Latin America is strongly Catholic. And Catholics are not atheists. They believe in God. Uh, they are not against the Word of God. They, I mean, they have their versions, their, their, their translations, whatever. But the deal is they're not atheists. So it, nobody saw a need for apologetics. Uh, why defend the Bible when they already believe the Bible? You know, that you don't have to prove to them that God exists. Hmm. But what has changed, what has changed, is that their professors in their universities have gotten to that age where they're retiring, they're being replaced by a new generation of professors that are trained in the United States and in Europe. So these professors trained in the U.S. and in Europe are, are, are taught the secularism, the humanism, the, the atheism, and they come back to their countries, and this is what they're starting to teach their young people. And so for the first time in their history, they have you know young people walking away from the faith saying they no longer believe, they're an atheist now, they're an agnostic. Something that happened here maybe 30 years ago is starting to happen there now. And so there's a reaction to that. How do we deal with it? We've got to do something. It's an urgent call for help. Mm. Uh, and there's only a handful of people doing apologetics in Spanish. And I know most of them because I, we've set up a network to try to, to pool, our, pool our efforts together. And there's maybe a dozen uh, actively uh, engaged apologists doing Spanish apologetics for Latin America. Wow. For, you know, for close to a billion people. Hmm. It's impossible for us to, to, to do everything. But 
Colombia is just blowing up. I, we did a youth conference in Medellin uh, six months ago, and we had 1,800 young people spend four days with us doing apologetics. It was a long weekend. They could have gone on vacation. They could have gone to the beach. They could have done something in their long weekend. They decided they would come to this event and spend four days just learning how to defend their faith. 1,800 wow. kids. Wow. Uh, that's, how hung- that's how hungry they are. Uh, we've been in Cali, Bogota, Santa Marta, just all over the country. And that's just one area we're doing ministry, and we're doing ministry in a lot of other areas as well. Uh, I, I have, I'm going to have to require, a, my wife is going to ask me for a visa to come home, you know, if I keep doing this. <laughs> uh, we're speaking with Juan Valdez of Reasons for Hope. This is Stand Up for the Truth. If you have any email, or if you have any comments, please email us, any questions or comments, comments at standupforthetruth.com, or you can text the keyword, speak up, anytime during the show, to 90100. Now, you're the pastor of a, congreg- a bilingual congregation. Do you preach in in Spanish, Juan, or, or uh, could you de- describe your congregation there in Miami? Our, our church is uh, celebrating its 56th year of ministry. Wow. Uh, it's one of the oldest Spanish churches in Miami, uh, and uh, it's been a Spanish church traditionally. I've been at my church for 37 years. Uh, I got there as a young man and never left. Hmm. Uh, and so... Uh, I met my wife there, married her there. We had our children there, presented them there, married them there. Like that awful life is, is has been at this church. And my wife uh, was born in the church, literally. Like her mom, she would go to church in her mom's belly <laughs> as a baby. <laughs> uh, so she's been there all her life. Uh, and what, what, what we observed maybe 10 years ago was that our kids, that second generation of Hispanic kids, are losing the Spanish language, sadly. And they, their, their native language is English, and they prefer English. They understand English better. It's that language they go to school with. And so we, we face the decision, if we keep just as a Spanish church, we're going to lose these young people. Hmm. They're either going to go to another church, an English-speaking church, or they're just going to stop going to church altogether. Right. So we, start, we started an English service one night a week, and it blew up. It hmm. was amazing. I mean, the response was phenomenal. And, and now these young people could invite other young people to church because now their friends can come. Their friends don't speak Spanish, but they do understand English. So let's do this in English. Uh, it, fast forward to today, and what we do now is we, Sunday mornings, uh, our Sunday school classes are in English. Uh, a little bit of bilingual for some of the immigrants that arrive, but mostly English. And I, I speak in Spanish, I preach in Spanish, and then we have a translator uh, that right standing right next to me who translate you know my message in, into into the English language. Uh, we have English speaking families, so we're, we're we've transitioned wow. into a bilingual church. It's still a Spanish church translating material to English, but we have an English service as well, and we're starting to incorporate English worship in our Spanish services. So that's getting kind of interesting. It's always a a challenge because there's the older generation of Spanish speakers that don't understand English. So they feel they're being hijacked, like their their church is being taken. <laughs> mm. But uh, but they get it. Eventually they yeah. get it when they see the fruits. What a blessing to have that. And I know that Miami, I was down there in the early 1980s, and if I remember at the time, it was about uh, a quarter black, a quarter white, a quarter Cuban, and a quarter Hispanic. It, what is the makeup of that area now in Miami and what you're you're in? It's probably it's probably the same. Okay. It's probably the same kind of makeup. Uh, maybe maybe uh, the 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 whole Hispanic community is probably more than fifty percent now. Uh, it, we we just have massive immigration uh, with Venezuela's crisis. You know, uh, we we've had a, a massive influx of Venezuelans uh, with the problems that are happening in Central and South America. We're having wow massive immigration from these places. So there, there's a huge community. Every every Spanish-speaking country in Latin America is represented in Miami. They each have a community. They have their restaurants. They have everything. Uh, and so uh, there's a lot of subcultures, Spanish subcultures here in Miami. And it's a mission field, brother. Miami's a lost city. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I believe the latest statistics is about 3% of the people in Miami go to church. Three? Uh, you know, that 3%, yeah. Wow. It, it, it's a pretty lost city. Uh, so we have our work cut out for us. Mm. We really do. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're speaking with Juan Valdez of Reasons for Hope. 
I've got some stats from Pew Research that are interesting. Just want to get your take on a few of them. Before we dive into some of the substance of what you talk about, you've got a lot of speeches that you give, presentations that you you provide on, on Christianity, on apologetics. We're going to talk about that with Juan Valdez when we come back. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to David Fiorazzo. Well, thank you for staying with us. We're speaking with Juan Valdez, an author, a pastor, a speaker, apologist, and he's with Reasons for Hope. And uh, Juan, we mentioned some stats, and we know this has gone up and down, but it's always kind of been in the 70s, but there's a, it's a head-scratcher. Approximately 75% of Americans claim to be Christian, profess some form of Christianity, and um, people like you and I have been asking the question, challenging others, especially the body of Christ for years, saying, what's wrong with this picture? Why does America look the way it does if three-quarters of Americans are Christians? Something doesn't add up. I, I totally agree. Uh, the, the way I see it is this. The Bible says that we're the light of the world. So if you take a room, uh, any size room, let's, let's, you know, a room that's 100, 100 by 100, 1,000 square feet, and, and you take that room or 10,000 square feet, and you put 500 light bulbs in it, 100 watts each, and you turn them all on, you don't expect it to be dark in there. You don't. You expect it to be so bright. Mm-hmm. Even though you're not covering the entire room, but the amount of light you're putting into it will light up even the darkest corners of it. And so here we have a country with, you know, over 240 million Christians, because if you do the math, with our, our last census, I believe we're at 320 million people. 75% of that is more than 230. It's almost 240 million people. How can a country with 240 million people and over 400,000 churches, you know, be in such a, a chaos and such a mess as we mm-hmm. are now? Uh, I mean, I find it I find it hard to believe that the the the, the forces of darkness are are so prevalent when there should be it, it should not be the way something's wrong with the picture. And I believe it was John R. W. Stott that said something. I'm paraphrasing a quote by him. He said, um, "We should not ask or complain what's wrong with this world, but we should ask what has happened to the salt and light." Meaning. There's evil in the world. The, the world is dark. But with this many Christians, supposedly, in America, a nation that was founded with the values and the principles that we were founded upon, this nation of all nations should be like very productive in its, in its faith and morality and the gospel and, the, and everything else. But it's being squeezed out of culture. It's part of that reason, one, because we maybe have allowed ourselves to get comfortable, and we kind of backed out of government politics, the, the public school system, media, and everything else? I, I think we—it's uh, it's a complex issue. I think there's a lot of reasons behind it, but okay. that is definitely one of them. That is definitely one of them. I think, I think at some point in the past, in the, in the states, in the country, we decided that church was uh, contained within four walls, uh, and we would entertain we entertain each other every weekend. We love eating together, sharing together, spending a couple of hours together on Sundays and a couple of hours on Wednesday. Uh, but once we leave those four walls, uh, churches we leave church behind. We we I think we've lost the mentality or the idea that we are the church mm. wherever we go. It's not the building. We the you know that's the congregation, but we are the church. Uh, and 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 if we're not if we only turn on the lights when we're inside the building. Uh, and then we walk out, we turn off the light and hide it. Uh, that, that's what I think is happening. So we, we stepped out of the public square. We've, we've vacated the seats that we had in, in, in the public arena, and, and we've put down the microphones. And guess what? When there's an empty seat, somebody's going to fill it. Mm-hmm. And if it isn't us, who's going to fill it? People that have other views you know, that, 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 that are not what we believe. Yes, the void will be filled by something or someone. Two things I want to ask you about, Juan, before I want to also talk about your book, How to Think. But Pew Research Center just came out with some new research. I mean, this is a 12-page report. I'm just going to ask you about two things that they found. The title is Americans have positive views about religion's role in society, but want it out of politics. In other words, most say religion is losing influence in American life. And nearly two-thirds of Americans in this brand-new survey 
say churches and other houses of worship should keep out of political matters. Well, you were just talking about that. That's what the left would want. That's what people that are against the Christian faith and against truth and against the Bible, that's what they want. Stay within those church walls. I just want to get your thoughts on that and also one other point from this survey. Uh, Most U.S. adults want religious groups to stay out of the political realm. But isn't that, aren't there moral issues involved with politics, Juan? I think I, I think there absolutely are moral issues involved with politics. I think the part of the problem is we try to compartmentalize, uh, and when we compartmentalize, we say, "Well, Christianity is something I do from you know during these times and and at these in these locations and <laughs> under these circumstances, but not always." Mm-hmm. And you can't separate our faith from who we are as people. And I think that an attempt to compartmentalize doesn't work. So the only way that I see that you can keep religion or faith. Out of, out of the public square is by electing people that don't have any religion or that don't have any faith or that are atheists or people who just... Because you, you, cannot, you cannot separate yourself from who you are and what you believe. Amen. If you have a politician that is not going to represent his faith because he's not allowed to, he wouldn't be in that office. He would not take the position. Mm. It, it's like a, the asking me to, to take a position that's gonna, where, where I can't be who I am and express what I believe. Uh, we can't separate those two as much as we try. So what ends up happening is we elect people that, that are not you know, people of faith. And then, and then we're upset when legislation is not... <laughs> it, it, morality is, is legislated from, from the benches, uh, because you know the people sitting on the benches are not religious. Uh, when, 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 we, when we have lawmakers passing laws that you know, are contrary to common sense... And, and, and foundational morality of our country, we get upset. Well, I mean, you can't have it both ways. Thank you, Juan. Speaking with Juan Valdez of Reasons for Hope, and now let's move on to your book. I, and, and as always, I have a lot of questions I want to get to and things I'd love to talk about. I know we're going to run out of time. A little too ambitious, but that's, that's good. There's a, a lot to cover. We'll have you back. Um, you wrote a book called How to Think, a crash course in critical thinking. And you say we live in a world where people are spoon-fed what to think. And boy, if that doesn't uh, describe the public school system today, but are seldom taught how to think. And you say it's easier and far less demanding to be told what to think than to have to engage in the rational exercises of critical thinking and analysis. And um, I just realized there's a foreword to this book written by Alex McFarland. I love his work as well. Tell us a little bit about this book and how people can get a copy. Well, uh, the book is available on Amazon, or they could go through our Reasons for Hope website and, and order it through our source, our store. But uh, the, the need for the book is great. It really is. I wrote the book because after teaching uh, high school seniors for 20 years, <laughs> I realized that... that uh, the kids walking into the classroom have not been taught critical thinking. Uh, most of the public education does not include critical thinking as a component. Uh, we are folk- so focused on giving kids a list of things to believe, uh, A, B, C, and D. And by the way, it's not just the schools. It's also the churches. We, we teach our kids at church, hey, you got to believe God exists. You know, he's a trinity. The Bible is inerrant. Jesus is the Savior. You know, all of these things. Okay, and that's great. We want them to believe that. But when we think about it, when we teach them how to think, we're teaching them how to, how to back that up. How did you come to that conclusion? Okay, God exists. How did you come to that conclusion? What, mm-hmm. what, what are the arguments that you have as a foundation for that belief? Uh, and, and so that's what we do when we teach people how to think critically. We, we, the, the, the best definition, the simplest definition of critical thinking is using our mind, the faculties that God has given us, to distinguish between what's true and what's false, what's real and what's false. And we're not taught how to do that. Mm. You know, you, kids see a meme, a meme yes. on, online, and, and it rattles their face <laughs> because they can't think. Mm. They can't sit down and say, okay, let's evaluate this argument. What's wrong with it? What, why, why does it challenge me? Why, what, is it true? Uh, and, and so if we don't have the tools to do that, uh, we're, we're in trouble, and that's why I wrote the book. It's really a textbook based on the curriculum that I taught to Christian high school students, you know, for for 15 years. Uh, and so it's really a textbook. It doesn't read like a like a novel or a book. It's it's a textbook. It, it requires hard work. You got to read it and work your way through it. But in it, I go over the fallacies, the different types of logical arguments, 
uh, how to how to how to structure a good argument, how to identify an argument that's not good. Because not only do we need to identify bad arguments, we need to make good arguments ourselves. Uh, and so that that's what the book is about. Well, praise God. Well, it's on Amazon.com. We will have the link for it to the Reasons for Hope website because it's on the site as well. And Juan, uh, we want to talk a little bit about some of your presentations. I just want to share some of the titles of your presentations to give people an idea of what you could bring in if you were to come in and speak to their church or their conference or their event. Um, so, so many topics. The Case for God, Five Reasons Why I'm Not an Atheist, Engaging Biblical or Bible Myths Arguments, uh, Engaging Moral Relativism, uh, Faith versus Reason, The Problem of Evil, and The Doubt Virus. But one I would like you to touch on before we get to your three chairs, which I want you to give us some points on that and explain the generational issues that, that are very uh, kind of parallel America. Um, engaging the, the charge of intolerance, because I think I would say nine out of ten Christians, if, you've, if people know you're a believer and you're out in the public square, secular job, school, system, whatever, and they know you're a Christian, you, and you've said anything about your faith or about the Bible, you've probably been called intolerant. What are the, some of the points from that important presentation, Juan? Well, uh, there's a double standard. Uh, we, we've redefined the word tolerance, and that, that's where I begin my talk. Uh, tr- there's nothing wrong with tolerance. The Bible actually asks us to be tolerant. Uh, and, and, but, but what does the word tolerance mean? Uh, it used to mean, and I think the biblical sense of it uh, is, that, you know, everyone is entitled to have an opinion, and we need to respect people regardless of their opinions. Uh, and so we, we, don't, we don't live in a world where we want people, people's opinions to be silenced. We don't want to live in a, in, in, in a totalitarian system where nobody's allowed to think differently. Uh, and so we, we are to live in a world where people disagree with us and have other opinions, and we should still love them and get along with them and, and be a good neighbor. Uh, And so we can agree to disagree. That's the traditional definition of tolerance. But in today's society, that has been redefined. Mm -hmm. That is no longer acceptable. Tolerance today means that I have to accept that your beliefs and my beliefs are equally valid, equally true. And not only that, I have to applaud your ideas. Yes. I have to support your ideas, even if I don't agree with them. Otherwise, I'm being intolerant. And that is absolutely ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. How we got there, it's, to me, is mind-boggling. Yes, I know. Uh, but it's it totally irrational. Totally ir- what, what does that mean? Does that mean that Mother Teresa's ideas are equally valid to Adolf Hitler's ideas? Hmm. I mean, that's an extreme counterexample. But yes. Think about it. We're saying all ideas are equally valid, then you have to get the really good ideas and the really bad ideas and say, you know what, they're equally valid. Are we to applaud Hitler for what he did, even though we don't agree with it, because if not, we would be intolerant? And I can show you, I can show you video interviews of young people, you know, that, are, that, 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 that will tell you on camera that Hitler was entitled to do what he did and wow. entitled to believe what he did. Wow. And who are we to judge? And if that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. It, it's, it's, it's gotten crazy, really crazy. And what I've found is that people that, are, people that claim or, or, or draw the card of intolerance are, are, are self-contradictory. They're refuting themselves. What, are they, what will they tell you? You Christians shouldn't be telling other people what to do or what to think. <laughs> yeah. Okay, stop for a minute. Mm. Uh, what are you doing? Are you telling me what to do and what to think? Yes. <laughs> it's okay when you do it, but it's not okay when I do it. When you do it, it's okay. When I do it, it's intolerance. You, you can't. You, you can't tell somebody that they cannot do something and then accuse them of being intolerant. It oh, doesn't work. Absolutely, and that's such an important presentation. I would love to hear the whole thing sometime. Do you have, do you have every one of your talks on video? No, we don't. Okay. We don't. Well, you're going to be working we on want, that, right? We, we, want to get, we want to get there, but we're not there yet. All right. Well, Juan, the one I really wanted to talk on, because I shared this with my church this past Sunday, there's a problem with um, not educating the younger generation. And what happens, it's so easy 
to fall away from God. Once you start coasting or get comfortable, you've got a presentation called Three Chairs, and there's basically three different types of people, on fire, lukewarm, or rebellious. Talking about believers. Um, There's one gospel, but three responses. Which one is yours? That's a question that you ask. I would love for you to talk about some of the bullet points based in Joshua 24 and Judges chapter 2. And you you ask the question, are we in danger of losing a generation? Well, I think we've lost several generations, but I would love to get just some of your thoughts and some of your points from this presentation, Juan. Uh, my my thoughts are uh, my experience uh, speaking in, in many churches across the country, uh, in in most of Latin America, even in Asia. This year, I was able to speak in Japan. I, I, I speak regularly in the Philippines, uh, and and so my experience is that uh, our churches are losing young people. We we're not being relevant to them. Uh, the the the, tr- the trend is not for our youth groups to grow. But to diminish, uh, and, and by growth I mean healthy growth, uh, discipleship, and just you know preparing kids to lead other kids to Christ. Uh, we don't see that growing, and, and part of the reason we don't see that growing is because I think we we have not adjusted. We have not uh, adjusted our message to the point where it's relevant to our our young people without compromising truth. Uh, just just being more sensitive to that. Uh, and I think that part of the problem is, and I address it in the talk, is that we ourselves, the adult generation, isn't, it's not living the Christian life. We're not being the light and we're not being the salt, as we mentioned earlier today. And our kids pick up on that. Our kids pick up. When we are the lukewarm Christian who is very holy in church on Sunday, but then when we leave church, we are nothing but, uh, or anything but holy, that sends a horrible message to our kids. Our kids say, well, you know what? If my parents don't believe it enough to live it, why should I? Mm. And you'll be surprised how many kids come up to me at camp or, or in, in Congress, in, in, in conferences, and they'll tell me, you know, Pastor, the problem is you don't know my parents. You know, they're one thing at church, but then they're so different when they get out of church. Uh, and so the kids pick up on the, on the hypocrisy. Uh, and, and I think the reason why the church is not having an impact on this world is because we're not sitting in that first chair where we should be sitting. When I do the talk, that first chair represents Joshua. Mm. You know, the second chair represents the elders that survived Joshua, and the third chair represents that new generation. Judges 2.10. There arose a new generation that did not know the Lord nor what he had done for Israel, for his people. And so, if you stop and think of that, that verse alone is breathtaking. How could you have Joshua's conquering generation that conquered the Holy Land, the walls of Jericho came down, they crossed the the Jordan River, they had all these amazing battles, God did such amazing things, and then the next generation doesn't know who God is or what He's done. Hmm. What happened? How did did, did that happen? Uh, And and so that's what provokes the talk, uh, because I believe that it's happening now. I believe that, you know, Christian parents uh, are not transferring the legacy to their kids the way they should. We're dropping the baton. I use the analogy of a relay race. Mm-hmm. So you win a relay race when you're able to transfer the baton to the next runner, uh, and every runner henceforth. And so I think we're dropping the baton, and we need to be really careful because who are going to be the next pastors and, and, and evangelists and missionaries if we, if, if, if we don't transfer that legacy? And that's what happened in that time in history. And it ushered in 350 years of misery Yes. For the Jewish people. Let's talk a little bit about that when we come back. Juan, are you, are, are, I'm, I'd hate to do this on the air and put you on the spot. Can you spend a, a few more minutes with us after the break? I can. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. I know you just got back from Columbia last night, and uh, we're talking about whether believers are on fire or hot, hot, cold, or lukewarm, and three chairs, three possible responses to that. More with Juan Valdez from Reasons for Hope when we come back. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to David Fiorazzo. We're speaking with Juan Valdez of Reasons for Hope, and we are going to put the link to this uh, speech, this presentation that he does on the three chairs, talking about the generation of Joshua and then the elders who survived Joshua, and then the generation that came along after that that did not know God. And you go, wow, after all that they had been through, 
and what God did. Juan, take it from there and, and how this relates to us Christians as being hot, cold, or lukewarm. Yeah, uh, he, he, it, to me, it's very, it's very easy. When you look at the passage, you realize that Joshua died at the end of chapter 24 of, uh, of, of the book of Joshua. It narrates his death. And he survived by these elders. So the baton needs to be transferred by these elders. But who are these elders? Uh, when, when you stop and look at it, they were people that, first of all, they had no commitment with God. Because they're the ones, precisely, that Joshua has to admonish in chapter 24 and tell them, hey, you guys need to make up your mind. Are you going to serve God? Or are you going to serve the gods of the Egyptians or the Amorites? I mean, figure this out, because you've got to commit to somebody. You can't continue to live a life without committing to what, to, to, to what you believe. Um, these people did not have any first-hand faith. You don't see them asking for anything, getting anything. They relied on Joshua's faith. They would see Joshua ask God for something, God would do it, and they would applaud. Wow, Joshua's God is amazing. But you don't see them exercising any faith. These were people that were very religious. They really, they did, they did, they did the right thing sometimes, but even when they did the right thing, they did it for the wrong reason. They wanted to placate God. They, they wanted to, to keep God happy. What's the, what's the minimal I can do so that God will leave me alone? You know, do I need to go to the tabernacle twice a week? Okay, I'll go to the tabernacle twice a week. Okay, I did my part. Now just leave me alone. I want to live my life. And so that was the attitude of that generation. And so that's why the next generation didn't know God or what or what he had done for Israel. Hmm. And so I think we see the same parallels today. I believe most Christians today are sitting in that second chair with those elders. We don't have a real commitment with God. You know, we don't like to come to church. We don't like to come to church to pray. Uh, we, we only like to be entertained. Uh, there, you know, we, we just assume we'll go to church one Sunday or go to the beach the next Sunday because, you know, it, it, we can take a day. We, what's, what's the big deal? We don't really have to go to church every day, every service. There's that, you know, that, that, that attitude is, is prevalent today. And so we have that. We have a lack, a demonstrable lack of faith in people, uh, that the people demonstrate. We have the people that are just, uh, they're, they're doing, they're checking things off the, off, the, off the box, off the list. You know, and church becomes one of those things, okay? With, yeah, and you realize that when you ask anything of, of your church members that goes beyond the regular services. If we're going to have a special service or we're going to do a special event or we need you to come out on a day when there normally isn't a service, everybody moans and groans about it because, you know, I already did what I needed to do to please God. Why are you adding more to the list? And when you have that mentality, you are no longer light and you are no longer salt. And that's why I believe we're losing this generation, because we're showing them that, look, this is not that important to us. It's just one more thing on our list to do, of things to do. And unless we get back in that first year where we are sold out for God, where we, you know, we are passionate about our belief in Him, we are committed to Him and to serving Him 100%, we, we delight in serving Him, uh, you know, unless we're in that chair... And, and, we, and we have that faith, and, and we have, I mean, we're not going to be able to impact this generation. We really aren't. Amen. And I like what, the way you put it. You, you separated. There's three different categories of words that describe the groups. Uh, in the first category, righteousness, meaning those who are really pursuing righteousness with God and trying to live those godly lives, active Christian lives. And then two, religiosity. And we know what that is. And then three, rebellion. So would you want to go into a, a little bit of detail? And by the way, these, we're going to put the link to this three chairs presentation in today's podcast post. And you told me off air that you did this in English, and there's another presentation, the same one in Spanish, correct? That's correct. Las tres sillas. <laughs> the three chairs in Spanish. And uh, if, you, if, if our listeners have Spanish-speaking friends that they want to share this with, uh, you know, just... Post the watch party. You know, come go, go, get that that channel up and show them the talk. It, it's a, it's a talk. It, it's a talk that's very very confrontational. It really confronts us. Uh, it, it, it may make you feel uncomfortable because it it really points out what I believe to be uh, the status of, of many Christians today and the reason why we are not making an impact. Why there's so much darkness in the world we live in. And that church, third chair is rebellious. Why is that church uh, that third chair rebellious? Because if they don't know God or what he's done for his people, then they're going to want to do whatever they want. And any attempt to tell them not to do what they want to do is going to be considered, you know, a, a form of, of repression or a form of, 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 of aggression against them. Uh, so 
that's that's where you end up. You end up with rebellion. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's exactly what that generation was all about. If you go to the book of Judges, what does it say? There was no king in Israel, and everybody did whatever they wanted to do. And so that that's that's the world we live in today. It's interesting. That's the, I'm sorry, Juan, you, you just brought up, you, you kind of bookended the book of Judges for us in the beginning. It was actually the first chapter, a little review of Joshua, and then Joshua's death, beginning of the second chapter, and then how that generation followed the Lord, and then when Joshua died, there was that next generation did not know God or the things that they did, and then came the rebellion. And then the I think what's one of the last verses in the book in, in Judges that says everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And I want you to just just take it from there and describe well, how did they get from just having a generation that knew God and then the next generation didn't know God, and by the end it was moral relativism. It, well, it's, it, again, it's a very natural progression. And it's interesting because that same verse that we see at the end of the book also appears in the middle middle of the book. It, the the, the, the the idea appears twice. The same verse appears twice, that everybody did whatever they wanted to do because there was no king in Israel. Mm. And, and what, what happens is, first of all, this, that generation has no relationship with God. So what can you expect of a generation that has no relationship with God? Second of all, they have no respect for the authority of the Word of God. So, you know, the rules by which we should live our lives, you know, that the rules that the... That, 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 if we want to use the analogy of the game, the, the, the guy who invented the game made the rules for the game so that the game will work. And if we don't want to live by the rules, the game's not going to work. The, the rules are there for a reason, for our own good, obviously. The Bible is God's Word, and it's a map for us to live our lives. But this generation that abandons this belief no longer respects the authority of the Bible. And then third, it, when it comes to, to serving others, that that generation is more focused on serving themselves than anybody else. They, at the end of the day, they want autonomy. They want to be able to do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want, and any attempt to, to derail that or to limit that or in any way to uh, stop them or impede that from happening is going to be seen as coercion. It's going to be rejected outright. And so that's how you go to a generation that, can, that wants to do whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. That's how and, we and, get and there. It's, it's a sad progression. It's a sad progression. I asked three questions in the message. I ask you, how's your relationship with God? I ask you how, and, and again, the three chairs will answer differently to that. I ask you, you know, what, what's the basis? How, what do you base your life on? What are the rules you live by? And each chair is going to answer that differently. And then I ask the third question, who do you serve? And again, you'll get the three chairs answering differently. But, but it will help you identify, when you watch this message, it helps you identify where you're seated. Not where you would like to be, but where you really are. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's convicting. It's convicting. God has used this this word very powerfully. When I when I, whenever I've shared it, the results have always been very powerful. Because it, when you're conf- when you when a mirror is put in front of you and you see what needs to be fixed, you have to make a decision: Am I going to fix it or am I going to leave it the way it is? Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's the confrontation this message presents. Thank you, Juan. That is the three chairs. We'll have the link to that video in today's podcast on. Uh, with Juan Valdez, Reasons for Hope on Critical Thinking and Apologetics. And it reminds me briefly, and we only have a couple minutes left, Juan, but the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, there were different kinds of Christian churches that some were encouraged, some were commended, some were rebuked. And Laodicea, that church, was rebuked for being lukewarm. And so this these verses here you took out of Joshua 24 and Judges chapter 2. Of course, they were about the people of Israel, but boy, this parallels the Christian church today too, doesn't it? It really does. I, I believe it's it's probably the most relevant uh, message that our church today needs to hear. Wow. Because it's, it's, we're looking at, at a previous generation's failures mm. and trying to learn from it so that we don't make the same mistakes. Amen. And if you look back at what our founders taught and and what they believed and how they tried to live their lives, generally most of them were believers in God, and they established just an amazing country and constitution. And many generations later, this is where we are, where Christianity and maybe the name of Jesus is almost like a cuss word in the public square in our culture. 
how did we get here? Well, that what, this presentation, the three chairs, really gives a lot of insight into that and how we should be living as Christians. Uh, closing thoughts, Juan. Yeah, closing thoughts. I'd like to put in, in the hands of your listeners something they could use to help others, to help people get engaged and to be able to share with other people, even if you don't know all the answers. Because part of our ministry focus is to equip people to do this. And so we've created a series of videos called Debunked. They're three- to five-minute, fast-paced videos that answer questions, powerful questions. The videos are available in English and in Spanish. We're starting to do them in Spanish now. And we have, we're answering there to, how do you know God exists? There's no evidence for God. Isn't the Bible full of errors and contradictions? There's no evidence for the resurrection. You know, all of these questions that come up, you know, how do you fit all these animals in the ark? Uh, and we have a video to answer each of these questions. And it's very easy and free, absolutely free, for your listeners to get this. And we want to put it in their hands. All they need to do is text the word, stay bold, one word, stay bold, which is part of our ministry motto, stay bold, and the number is 51555. If they text stay bold to 51555, they're going to get a link. They're going to, they need to just give us their name and email, and they're going to get a link to have all of, the, all of the debunked videos available on their phone to be able to show people on the spot when they ask you a question. And it's just one of the many tools. We ask our listeners, if you're, if you're a believer, please pray for us, that God would help us continue to fund these, these projects and continue to reach those people that really need it. We want to equip the Church, and we also want to reach the lost. And it's, it's a big mission field for us. Juan Valdez, Reasons for Hope. Thank you so much. We will put that information in today's podcast post as well. Well, it's great getting to know you and just getting some of your insights and wisdom today, Juan. God bless you. We'll hopefully talk to you in the near future. And you have a happy Thanksgiving, brother. Thank you, my brother. You as well and all your listeners. I pray you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. We have a lot to be grateful for. Yes, we do. Praise God. Uh, when we come back, we'll wrap up, wrap up sh the show today and tell you what's on tap for tomorrow. We're getting ready to wrap up today's show. Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpWithTheTruth.com slash donate. Now, here's David Fiorazzo. Oh, what a blessing. It's always great to get a new guest on and just have them share their expertise and their ministry. And It reminds us that believers are doing some amazing work. I mean, it can get kind of overwhelming to hear about what's going on in our country. And we talk a lot about, about even about that in the church, what's going on with the false teachings and the different things, Christians conforming to the world. But when you hear of ministries like Reasons for Hope and others that we talk to, these people that are they're traveling, they're doing these work, not just in the country but around the world, and really reaching younger kids, and they're trying to equip the saints, I am really encouraged. I hope you were encouraged as well by what Juan Valdez shared. Tomorrow, exciting, an inspirational, I think, program with Local Ministry uh, Spotlight. Uh, it's a leader here, Sarah Christensen, on Frontline Harvest Ministry. She does a lot of work evangelizing, equipping, discipling, serving Northeast Wisconsin. And boy, does she know how to mentor young women. We'll get some exciting updates from her. That's tomorrow on Stand Up For The Truth course, Thursdays, Thanksgiving. And we're just thankful one day at a time, right, for all that God has done. God bless you and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.